Hey, I'm Abby. I'm Jess. And you're listening to Did the Reading, the podcast where we did the reading, so you don't have to. Did you like the way I said it? It was definitely high drama. What are we looking at this week, Abby? What a question, Jessica Curry. This week we will be looking at The Great Gatsby, because both me and Jessica are unable to move past who we were at the age of 17, which is... (laughs) why now we are forced to revisit this book that we both studied for A-level. We yes. put it off in season one. We were like, no, that'd be far too cliche. Everyone knows mm. The Great Gatsby anyway. No one wants to hear us witcher on about it again. Mm. And here we are. We've got the to give the fans is, what they want. The, the fans, I didn't want to make comments about you guys, because to be fair to you, you are listening. However, we have noticed that people don't like our episodes, which are too niche rather than cliche and so we are moving back into the zone of the cliche um i don't think i've actually been more excited like give me like 40 minutes to talk about the great gatsby and i will take it tell me how you feel about great gatsby in as brief a way as possible because we can't use the whole episode to talk about that i feel like the whole thing is like oh i don't want to be that english student but like it's just it's an excellent book that's my headline it's short it's like very digestible. It's very cinematic. It's very, it's a, I think it's a classic, but we'll get onto that later. There are multiple exquisite film adaptations, which we will also discuss in more detail. I love it. It's very quotable. You can be that person if you want. I fully agree. I love this book. I think it is so beautiful, so moving, so powerful, so thought provoking, you know. It really does say some things about the American dream. If I might venture to suggest that might be one of the major themes. But who am I? I don't even know if that comes into it. Yeah, welcome to a books podcast. First of all, Abby, I Mm. think this is a book that's very of its time and it's very like the epitome of the 1920s. However, what (gasps) do you think The Great Gatsby would look like if it was to be written Maybe 2020 is like too high drama a year to specify, but like what would it look like in a more modern age? That for sure is a fascinating question and definitely not one that I earlier wrote and fed to you. And like obviously there's always that post which goes around which talks about how like Gatsby holding all those parties is like people putting up an Instagram story for one specific person Mm -hmm. and me. I feel like a fascinating question would be like, what would people's Insta profiles look like? Like, I feel like Tom Buchanan, he's definitely going to have a lot of shirtless pics in there. He's probably going to be holding a fish. He's going to be on, you know, a very nice horse. He's going to show you his living room. He's going to be wearing some chinos. He's going to be wearing one of those little, like, I don't know what they are, felt gilets that some men wear. He's going to be... I said what I said, and I will not be taking criticism right now. Daisy would be, like, absolutely banging out the filters. She would be, you know, the queen of one of those, you know, those houses which are basically just, like, hyper-romanticised, loads of flowers everywhere. And not Mm. just because Gatsby gave them to her, but just she's just got shit tons of flowers. Gatsby's profile would mainly just be that really sad thing of like, I look, I I promise I'm fun and not committing crimes. You know? Yeah, that one. And also like him in like one of those Oxford University sweatshirts and being like, (laughs) 
alma mater and everyone be like what and then he's like comments turned off it's true that's the thing i genuinely think gatsby would be one of those people that like doesn't follow anyone comments all turned off it's like all about the you're here if you want to be here it's all about the display Mm -hmm. ash is one of those people that's like oh close friends and like his only close friend is daisy of course nick is one of those people who would be talking to his instagram stories and you have fully one of those like 10 minute like you know what i always think is crazy like you know when you like get on the train and then you come in and they're like oh the eyes of dr tj eckelberg everyone would be like right i'm clicking right through this this is super boring <laughs> oh and you like join a live and you're like i'm one of three people it's just yes. nick chatting about his life and his childhood and moving east exactly. otherwise what i think other... just in i was just gonna say also in terms of on like a very practical level i remember when i first read it i was like god they can just jump in each other's cars and just drive around and i was like that would be an insurance nightmare in the modern yeah, age that's true that would be that's all i have to say on that well, also they can just be like been driving for doesn't it actually to be fair because sometimes you can have transferable insurance if you've been driving for a long time i swear Welcome to the most engaging literature podcast of all time. Everyone's like, but do you, how long has he been driving? Because the thing was as well, I was just reading um the Truman Capote script, and I think, oh no, actually no, I lied to you. Nick's like thirty, isn't he? So hypothetically, he could have been driving for like fourteen years. So right. say for like hitting anyone, he could be an insurance dream. Another major pitfall: CCTV. They were just like, oh, it wasn't, we're not going to tell you who was driving, except we mm. are, and it definitely wasn't Daisy. Yeah. I don't want to give any spoiler I'm, alerts, but that could, in a more I'm modern, just saying as well, if George had, George had find your friends, he'd be like, what, you always doing in New York? <laughs> Myrtle. Got like snap maps, he's like looking at her and he's like, it seems to me like you're always at parties with your sister. Is that true? And she's like, among uh, yeah. other individuals. Yeah. Those are just a few of the things that I can think of. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, it's an evolving market. Because if they were back in the, like, YouTube age, I feel like that's another question entirely. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I can't even get started on that right now. I almost feel like in that context, Nick would have to be a bit emo, possibly. No, I was thinking on, like, one of the more niche things, I feel like Nick could definitely have a kind of accountancy slash insurance, like, study tube. You know, when he talks about there's that bit where he's like, oh, and I bought these like seven books and I just I read them and like worked his way through them. And it was like, do you not have anything else to be doing in New York? I know. Honestly, so boring. He yeah, he genuinely would be, you know, one of those people who do those like marathon sessions of like studying and then like got up at 3 a.m. Going to work till midnight tomorrow just so that I can get on top of my studies. Term hasn't even started yet. That would be him. Either that or he'd be like a very well-measured study tuber. I can mm, see that for him. Exactly. I mean, we're saying this, we've established that he's like 30 years old, but I, I can still, I see that for him. It still makes sense. I mean, the thing is, all of this stuff about social media, I don't know what 30-year-olds are doing on social media. No offences. Sorry, so, you I mean, I can't comment. I'm, I like to think I'm young. I'm not. I'm ageing out. He's aging out of what? (laughs) This. I do think that regardless of whatever kind of like slightly niche social media era we're looking at, I don't think that Daisy's comment of like, 
oh, I want to have a daughter because all she can be is a beautiful little fool would fly with whatever kind of wave of feminism you're in at that moment. But apart from that... That's the only issue with the entire book. Otherwise, all of it works in a social media era. Absolutely. Case closed. Next question. Our second conversational point, Jessica, is female characters, which, you know, we always like to talk about at its widest point, you know, shouldn't everything be subjected to the Bechdel test? Yeah, you know? we're arguably filling in the gaps that the book Fitzgerald's left. left. Yeah, you're all welcome. Um, so first and foremost, tell me, you know, just generally in the widest possible way, what do we think about the state of the female characters in I mean, this that, novel? Yeah, does tend to be my approach for answering these questions. <laughs> In terms of major female characters, we've got what Daisy, Daisy, Jordan, Jordan. no, also Patsy. Is that the name of the baby? The bebe? Yeah, I always forget she has a baby. Like always. A bebe? <laughs> so yeah, maybe four then plus Patsy. Plus Patsy, who <laughs> <laughs> we're not even sure a hundred percent is called Patsy. Just like I'm gonna Google it. Carry on talking. I'll be looking up Patsy. Um, Patsy the Great Patsby. My yeah, main thought is that Jordan Baker is iconic. I love her. She's mm. like, isn't she like a star tennis player or like rumoured to be? Golf. She's a beautiful, iconic, quite self-assured young woman. I feel like she's mm. described in very like masculine, very like up and down physically terms. Yes, which you're again, totally right. We can like investigate that further. But mm. I just think she's very cool she just seems to be like entirely like along for the ride <laughs> she's just there she's lurking observing she's not getting too stirring involved. the pot she's stirring she's the pot like intermittently like oh my god didn't you hear i'm overhearing i'm eavesdropping i just like i really vibe her approach, approach. to the situation fully everything she does i'm like yes that's where Makes i sense. yeah Daisy. And we have Daisy. What are your thoughts on Daisy? I love Carrie Mulligan. So when I saw her in the adaptation, I always feel, you know, like a lot of love because I wish I had hair like that. However, as a character, you know, what are we supposed to take her as? Is she ultimately incredibly selfish and in her head? Or is she very naive about what marriage is supposed to look like and what she can expect of people? Or is she ultimately a cynical person who's adapting her outer format to fit in with how she can manipulate men in order to succeed in a patriarchal world? There are certainly a lot of options there. I think the bit that always stands out to me is there's when Nick's talking about like not her childhood, but like when she's just met Gatsby, I think, and he's recounting mm. some of these stories. He talks about how she like wanted her life shaped now immediately and the decision must be made by something as forceful as love or money and something unquestionable and it's just that idea of her not having any means to kind of shape her own life so she just makes the best as like a beautiful rich white woman of what people offer her and what other people can do for her. I think there's two ways to read that because I think on the one hand yeah I agree with you on the other hand I wonder if you can read that the other way is saying like there's a level of that kind of well I suppose three ways like a kind of capitalistic money grabbing kind of now 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 type mentality that kind of immediate gratification that we Mm -hmm. connect with consumerism and the boom of consumerism of the 1920s or 
that it's very like which I think has been quite a common reading this kind of laziness this like person who's never had to put any effort in ever mm-hmm. and then just is floated along and almost the idea of potent forces is something that is not necessarily and even her idea of want is not necessarily actually a real thing in so much as the fact that she does not have any necessity to make decisions as part of the elite. Mm-hmm. No, I think I agree. I think also <laughs> at the moment that idea of like, oh, she's just waiting for something massive to shape her life. And I was like, wow, that's really gut-punched me. Yeah, on the nose. But also I don't know if they're mutually exclusive necessarily there's like Agreed. options you gave I remember when I read at a level I was very much like oh she's making the best of what she has and like actually is kind of like fucked around or like projected onto by the men around her and like sure. realistically has quite quite like a shit time of it but mm-hmm. she is also very doesn't also do she masses does get to, like, away with the like running over myrtle type situation I mean like things like Which that is not very girl power of her no there's not a lot of lifting up other women in this novel arguably so bloody true so (laughs) will you give me your myrtle analysis no fences i really like the character of myrtle i always remember that bit when we first meet her she like we meet her and she's like positioned in a doorway and she's blocking out the light and she's wearing like a spotted dress daisy's always described in terms of like glowing or reflecting light and myrtle just appears like blocking out the light behind her from like a hallway or something i quite like myrtle i think she's living her life to the fullest and again doing the best with like what she can these are the headlines from my like now many years old recollections of studying it the scene where she gets run over is so kind of i remember it very clearly and there's that bit where she kind of like rolls over the bonnet and Mm. and then all that description of george as like a ghost I don't know I just think it's done really well so this is definitely as we will maybe go on to later a book that is like primed and arguably like written for cinema I think um Myrtle is such an interesting character because I think she speaks both to the class narratives in the novel and the women's narratives in the novels because from like I think in both cases she's treated quite unsympathetically in terms of like the fact that she's this super sexual figure I guess in a way because we like there's the scene where we kind of know that she and Tom have left to have sex in the apartment and there's that kind of like it's presented as quite the fact that that is obvious is presented as quite a like breach of decorum at the very least and something Mm -hmm. quite grotesque in another way but I also think from a class perspective there's something about the fact that you know like she's kind of just this person they pick up at the gas station and she sort of has to be this like dirty little secret and her husband is and while you know daisy's consumerism is glamorous and amazing and like one of those things that you know nick really admires in the narrative yeah like, the fact that myrtle wants things is shown to be so like disgusting do you know what I mean? Oh, it's like, yeah. And I think in a way that's quite like an interesting take, isn't it, about how we like view money and spending that that's like a right way and a wrong way. You know, that if you're spending money in a way that appears glamorous, that's OK. But then like I think continues to be today this kind of like guilting and blaming for wanting things if you're not seen to be the kind of person who should be able to have the privilege of 
wanting oh no absolutely and it's like who well yeah it's exactly what you said it's like who consumerism is branded as a almost like some sort of basic human necessity or like part of life versus a breach of what should be expected of you as like a member of or at least if you're perceived to be a member of a certain class and she can't even die with dignity like she has Mm. there's that bit where it's like something isn't it her like left breast like flaps or something as she gets hit by the car and it like comes out of her dress and that's also I think how they just know immediately that she's dead because obviously that's quite a major wound but do you know what I mean like even in death and then when she's like covered up in the workshop I think no I fully agree treated very sympathetically and I think that both speaks to the class conversation and the gender conversation because I think the fact that to to crack out a very a-level point you know the fact that her her breasts out you know it's a bit sexual isn't it I don't need to go there think about that haven't you um and also the kind of class aspect that, you know, while I suppose, you know, we see this kind of sadness and emptiness in Gatsby's life, he does still have, he is still afforded the kind of respect of the funeral, of his body being covered up, of it being unwitnessed. There is never kind of a like a sordid, I guess, description of the bodily nature of his death. Whereas yeah, I was like, going to say, do we actually ever see his body? I feel like we don't get a description of it. I think there's the sort of line about him sort of being shot with the phone ringing but I don't think there's ever anything about you know like his actual yeah it's euphemistic isn't death. it there's no corpse yes. no exactly and I guess obviously there is a certain element where Myrtle's death demands one because it's something that is so visible but mm-hmm. at the same time the choice to not just say they saw Myrtle be hit and her fall versus talk about like her body actually getting like ripped apart and in that specific way is a choice you know what I mean yeah I found the bit it just talks about a laden mattress and it's that it's that line where it says the holocaust was complete yes that's all we really get exactly a thin red circle in the water what are your thoughts on the homoerotic subtext forward slash the relationship between Nick and Gatsby whether or not you view that as a homoerotic one what a question Jess I love that question Thank you. I think, you know, homoerotic subtext is big in this book, you know? I think the way we're presented Jordan, she's presented as somebody who is possibly not straight. I think Nick and the way in which he kind of talks about, you know, the the lift scene with, I can't remember what his name is. I was actually thinking earlier, and I'm not sure if this was a euphemism that existed at the time, and so if it wasn't, then we can cut this. But you know how when Nick and Jordan are first introduced and Daisy says, we're going to get you guys together. We're going to throw you into closets together all summer, like linen closets and things. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is, is that, that an extant euphemism as in being in the closet? I honestly don't know. I feel like that's more of a recent it's probably turn more of phrase. Than that, but I just, um... but I also have no idea what I'm basing that on. So, but then there are also like a number of, moments where i mean like anything but if you look for it but like i think literally on page one nick says Mm. something about being privy in college to the secret griefs of wild unknown men because he was like a good listener or like some shit do you know what i mean like that at least in if you reread that having read the whole book it's like that seems Mm. to gesture at something but then obviously there's nothing explicit but i also do just think 
in and of itself the relationship between Nick and Gatsby is like a really interesting one because it's definitely one of friendship but then it's one of worship and it's obviously the whole thing is from Nick's perspective so you can't and I think he does like hero worship him I completely agree like he's the only one at his funeral he there's that like the last words he says to him is like they're a rotten bunch you're worth the whole damn lot of them put together yeah god stuff like that you've got to think about that haven't you I think sorry I was just looking up the coming out of the closet thing and I think it is actually late 20th century so I think I may have been wrong however you know what I will say is that in a way I'm right because that's how modern readers interpret it I was gonna say it's still a balanced interpretation (laughs) all about death of the author so actually that was a correct interpretation thank you yes I agree about the hero worshipping aspect I think Nick and Gatsby's relationship always sort of falls on the line where where it's difficult to tell whether we're supposed to view it as a kind of one-sided thing whereby Nick is adoring him or attracted to him. And kind of there is that bit where he's talking about him being very handsome, having this mysterious smile, having this gorgeous house. And he's talked about as being like, you know, attractive, well-dressed a lot from Nick's perspective. Whereas we don't really get those indicators from Gatsby, I would say. I mean, like, obviously it's not Gatsby's perspective book, but obviously he does spend the majority of the book pursuing a woman, which makes it difficult to fully read it the other way. Yeah, and I do think in some ways, not least because it's all, yeah, Mm, nothing more than inference. I do also think there's some level of it's like, I don't actually know massively what you can kind of gain from proving or disproving that it was like romantic rather than a friendship like I I still think either way like the entire book is a kind of like statement of affinity with Gatsby and like not necessarily like what he stood for but kind of like him as a person and it's kind of like I don't know if that is necessarily like requires clarification in that sense I I would say perhaps the most explicit like yeah no sorry you were butting no I was gonna say what I think you were gonna say which is that bit in the lift as in, like, I think Nick's yeah, sexuality is definitely in question. But I don't know whether I would say the lift not. bit is perhaps probably one of the most obvious mm-hmm. points in the book. And I feel like there is something about the way in which that's written which leaves a lack of question. The uh, Talking about being, like, undressed, about sort of sitting in bed together, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's like the sort of several hours later, you know... There's a hand t- on a lever at some point. Hand on a lever, you know. I do think, you know... It's not reaching to say that that is that, you know? That is subtext. that. I don't even think it's subtext. I think that's text, my sweet dude. Like, I'm <laughs> just going to tell you that. That's text. Tell me, obviously, Gatsby is a book that has captured many people's imaginations over history, and it has been adapted a number of times and interpreted by multitudes of students. And... I want you to tell me what your favourite adaptations are, which ones you think capture the energy, what you think makes a good adaptation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I will try my best. So, mm. obviously, it's Baz Luhrmann, isn't it? The, um, it is. The DiCaprio one. The really, yeah. So that one is, what even was that, 2012? It feels like an age ago. That is an excellent yeah. adaptation, Yonkers. which, as we were literally saying the other day, has a fantastic soundtrack. But Good. the 1974 one with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow is, this one goes out to Anna Whitmore, who made me watch this, also <laughs> exquisite. There's just so many scenes that it does like really well, and it's that classic, like very faithful to the book. Do you know what? I sometimes find that a bit 
cliched that is my least favorite part of the Baz Luhrmann adaptation in terms of okay, you know when he gets really into bit. that bit about writing the words up and he's like yeah I've read the book and you might notice because I've written the words down and I've made sure that this narration which no one needed has been transliterated faithfully into my script I'm like let's take a day off okay let's narration take maybe I agree with you but in terms of the actual lines like the dialogue in this book is good and I will die on this hill the dialogue is it's good which is arguably rare well not rare but like difficult to do like when I say this I book is very like written for cinema I mean that in terms of like it's lighting imagery and it's dialogue and the way it works in scenes and so I think <laughs> if you like yeah I don't know decide to like edit a lot of that it's like well you're just gonna be making life harder for yourself and also make it worse that's all well, I have to say what you want to like what you want to get out of an adaptation and I guess there is a line to tread between a really good adaptation is a perfect translation of book to screen whereby every single element is precisely and accurately placed on screen or is a very good adaptation, one that captures the mode and meaning and resuggests it or reinterprets it or changes it in ways that allows it to resonate in the same ways with a modern audience. I guess because I was like reading about Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining the other day and he was talking about how he like made choices with it in order to surprise audiences who had already read it for example like you know the final scene with Jack's death was carried out in a different way Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so I guess there's like something there where it becomes like an extension of the the original product like it's not like the adaptation becomes a way of literary retelling rather than just a kind of hero worship item you know there is something to be said in a way for changing the script slightly or you know like taking out those kind of like for example heavy-handed narration bits because narration is not like modern so that hinders the way that a modern audience engages with it for example no I agree and I think actually like one really good example of what you say in terms of like taking the kind of like feel and like mode of something and translating it into like what works best for the like medium of film and also like the time is in the 1974 version they do actually do you know that scene where he first sees Daisy and Jordan and they're in that room with all the like doors open and all the curtains and he says that it looks as if they were like floating Mm. that scene is beautiful it's so well done and she's it's like this like wedding cake of a house and it's just the lighting is amazing and it's really cool I bet you could find it I bet it's on YouTube somewhere if you want to just watch that bit there's also obviously like some lovely shots of Robert Redford on a lilo but that's perhaps a different conversation that is not Um, part of the adaptation chat I mean I have started reading this Truman Capote one it's interesting again I feel like Truman Capote falls into the trap of being like I've read the book I think you guys should know it but it's like maybe put the book down and start thinking for yourself Truman because it's at the moment it's looking like a transcribing exercise but who am I to judge I have not yet finished the script that would be what I was saying if I was handed that script I'd be like yes I too have read the book all you've done here is put it into a different format and I don't have time for that but then is there a question as in the whole thing is like hinges on the father's perspective and it's Nick's experience so like I don't care 
I mean, obviously you can stray from that in terms of not copying and pasting, but in terms of how the story is like... that, again, is an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, like, I think, you know, the kind of Nick presence is sort of... I think it's become kind of quite, like, popular, I guess, like, more in the, like, late 20th century of, like... Or, like, even, I guess, you know, it's stuff like Sherlock Holmes or whatever, and you see it from, like, Watson's perspective, and it's, like, a weird secondary character who really is, like, not that exciting, who is put in from the perspective of being somebody who doesn't comprehend like the craziness and it's sort of supposed to be our insider's perspective there and I guess you see mm-hmm. that in like lots of young adult stuff blah 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 but you know I don't care and that's Nick's burden so I think Nick should either consider becoming like spicier like if Nick was a part-time gangster I would consider allowing him back into my scripts arguably quite a 180 yes is this a classic, Abigail? Yes. Here are the reasons why you could think it was not a classic. It doesn't do a lot of new stuff in terms of form. Usually, classics are a bit longer. Usually, there's a bit more going on. And we would expect it, for example, particularly considering it's a 20s book, is it even doing anything for modernism? No, it isn't. However, reasons why it is a classic... It changed the face of literature because it's so spicy. It said a lot about the current period, which makes it an interesting historical document as well as a piece of literature. The characters are really fun and it's a fun, good time to read. And everyone likes it, which is rare for classics and probably not a good indicator of it being a classic because sometimes you're more likely to find something's a classic if it's not enjoyable. But in this case... Both go hand in hand in a merry harmony. And that's my take. Okay, let me take one of your points. I agree. First of all, the main thing I thought was that it was like a voice of the time in terms of when you think 1920s, you think Gatsby. But I think that's more because of like... Sorry, yeah, Karen, I'll let you make this point. I just think that that's more because we've all like absorbed this like Baz Luhrmann narrative. And so I think it's become the like 21st century analysis of the 20s however that doesn't make it a less spicy classic because it has it was the voice of the time and then since it's become the pinnacle of kind of nostalgic glamour and Mm. lost paradise however like deep you want to go on that Mm. but this especially this idea of like extreme affluence right before the crash i think it it's a classic in that sense and it really encapsulates that mood of kind of fear but not sure what of (laughs) just of like the pace at which you're moving which as you say is also like a very modern by which I mean like 21st century understandable concept it's definitely had a resurgence I actually don't know I feel like I should know roughly what its popularity trend was over. I suppose also yeah, that's an interesting question. Like the kind of like morally moral grayness of it in a way also makes it a classic. Like you can't read it and say we are definitely intended to like anyone specifically. I mean, like mm. we're obviously definitely intended to dislike Tom and to a certain extent Myrtle, but like a lot of the other characters sit in a kind of middle ground, you know? And that in itself is quite an intriguing question it's set in 1922 which is like the year of literary classics if you had to pick one so i think there is this 
I think that he's quite like conscious of that. Not least, like it's not purely a, oh, I'm just going to pick an early 20s year to set this in. Because it was written in 1925. In previous episodes where we've discussed whether something was a classic or not, I have said that the best test of something being a classic is longevity. And as we said at the top of this episode, we will continue reading and loving this book. So purely off the two of our backs. We're going to make sure. will continue. Yeah, I think that does capture it really, doesn't it? Well, that that is all for this week. And it has been fantastic to talk to you, Jessica. I'm looking forward to speaking to you next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Send in suggestions. How can they contact us, Jessica Curry? They can. You can. Follow us on Instagram at didthereadingpod. Same on Twitter. And you can also send us an email at didthereadingpod at gmail.com. As with this week, we're going to bring you what the fans want. Of course. That is what we are doing every single week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.